Well, good morning. If I haven't met you yet, I, my name is Rich. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Center Church. If you're here with us today, it's great to see you. If you are watching at home, you're welcome as well. Uh, again, we turn to the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. Kind of nestled in the back, sort of. One thing I just want to draw your attention to, coming up on November the, oh, the 7th, we have a town hall meeting where we're going to continue just to think through, I'm sorry, November the 5th, we're going to have a town hall meeting just to continue to think through how we're going to process COVID and meeting and children's ministry and all those sorts of things. So if you're a member, please plan on coming. If you're attending and haven't yet had a chance to check out a membership class, you can feel free to come as well. Just info, just email us at info at centergilbert.com and we will give you a link. Kids, you can make your way out to that door there. So if the kids, if there are kids who have not yet gone, you can go that way. I've heard it said, and I think you probably have too, that the way the U.S. Treasury Department determines or trains its agents to spot counterfeit bills is by making them very acquainted with the real thing. When an agent is, 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 knows the touch and the feel and the smell and the look of a real bill, then the counterfeit is even harder to pass off as the real thing. Now, I've had experience with counterfeits. That doesn't mean I spent time in my basement running off Benjamins, but it does mean, sad to say, that one time I bought a fake pair of Oakley sunglasses in Mexico. Now, this is many pounds and brown hair ago, and I was in Mexico walking around with the blocks and blocks of shops and booths set up to my amazement, and I saw in the corner of my eye a display full of Oakley sunglasses. Now, if you don't know what Oakley sunglasses are, they are expensive sunglasses. Expensive sunglasses. Now, as a teenager, wearing Oakley sunglasses would have been like winning the lottery. And so I look over there and I think, oh my goodness, those are Oakley sunglasses. And I went over there and I was like, whoa. Now, a real pair of Oakley sunglasses would have been north of 100 bucks. These <clears throat> had a price tag of 15 and the gentleman told me he'd be willing to part with one for $7. And I thought, I love Mexico. <laughs> and I thought I scored big time. I'm like, I should come down here for all my shopping. Now, the first couple days, this eyewear performed very admirably. Kept the blinding light off my peepers, and I was in good shape. But after a few days, I noticed that where I would pick up the sunglasses to put them on, like on my face, where my fingers would touch the frames, the color was fading just a little bit. And I thought, huh. I would have thought Oakley's would stand up better to finger, finger touching than that. Um, and then I noticed that it kind of got warped in my hot car. And then I noticed that my lenses scratched easily even as I tried to clean them with a soft t-shirt. And then my friend walked up to me one day and said, Hey, you got those in Mexico, didn't you? And I was like, How could you tell? How did you know? And he pointed to the side and he showed... Oakley's misspelled. There's no L. I was like... So it said, Oakie. And he goes, 
Bro, you brought you bought Jokelis. Those aren't real. They're fake. And I didn't notice there was no L. Dang, I thought. Fake Oakleys. I hadn't handled the real thing enough. I had never seen the real thing. I had never looked through the lenses of real Oakley sunglasses. I had never held them in my hands or experienced what it would be like to own a pair. And so when I had the fake Oakley sunglasses, I couldn't tell what was Oakley and what was Jokely. This morning, the reason we look again to Ephesians chapter 4 is because we want to handle again the real thing when it comes to church unity. We want to handle and touch and smell again what it means to be united together as a church. We want to know this because if we don't know what it feels like and looks like and smells like, we're going to not know if we have real unity or the equivalent of jokely unity. You see, unity here at Center Church is meant to show the watching world and testify here that Jesus, that what Jesus is like. At one level, I know we will not do this perfectly, but I want you to say to people who don't know what Jesus is like, when they say, what's Jesus like? You can say, come to my church and meet the people who are there. He's like them. Kind. Merciful. Gracious. Super slow to judge. Really slow to speak. Quick to forgive. And quicker to love. Joyful, peaceful, patient. That's what the people of Center Church are like. And that must be what Jesus is like. That's, what, that's the reason that we're thinking again today about unity. That's the reason we're trying to handle unity, the authentic kind of unity that we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Because there are many loud, demanding, shrill voices out there that tell us what really matters. And if we're not careful, we can import that false understanding of why we are united here into our church. We have to handle real unity. Real unity is not based on where we're from, what race we are, what political persuasion we're of. Our unity is based on the fact that we are in Christ. And as Ephesians has told us, we are one body with one spirit, sharing one hope, under one Lord, sharing one faith, and today we'll think about our one baptism together, serving one God together. In fact, our call this morning is to remember we're not really that different from everybody else. If you're a Christian and a part of this church, your call, my call, is to remember we're not all that different. If you're part of another church and you're here visiting or you're watching, your call is to remember that you're not all that different from them. And we're going to make every effort this morning to see this truth as we consider the one baptism. So let's see why we can say that we're not all that different. I'm going to read beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 6. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. If you have another version of the Bible, totally fine. You'll be able to follow along with me as I read. Here's God's Word. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, our two words for today, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your help this morning because what we don't want to do is engage in some kind of academic exercise. What we don't want to do is just fill the next 15 or 20 minutes. What we don't want to do is hear some things from the Bible just to make ourselves feel better, Lord. What we want to do is meet with you. More than that, what we need is to meet with you. And the prescribed way that you meet with your people is as they gather through the preaching of your word. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be amongst us this morning so that as we handle and touch and taste and feel what real, authentic unity is from your word, that we can say after we've met with God. In your name we pray. Amen. Two simple points this morning as we think through how we're not that different from everybody else. First, one, baptism. As I said earlier, this is the two words that we, we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 at the very end of verse 5. Now, the word, the phrase one baptism here does, at the end of verse 5 does, is not about the mode of baptism, the mode of baptism. Historically, in the Protestant church, there are two different modes of baptism. People who, when they become Christians and believe, are baptized. That's called believer's baptism. Others believe in infant baptism. We practice because we believe this is what the New Testament says, believer's baptism, but that is not the purpose of the word, of the one baptism that Paul points to in verse 5. Why? What, 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 is, what is he getting at when he says we are of one baptism? Because that's the idea, we are of one baptism. I'll tell you what it is, and it might not help at first, but hang with me and let me know if it helps you in just a minute. It's a... Gosh. I, I practiced this in the first service. Synecdoche. Gosh. You know, I literally have to look that up every time I need to go say it and tell Google, how do you say this, Google? And she told me, synecdoche. Synecdoche. It's not a natural word. And maybe you think, what in tarnation is a synecdoche? Now, synecdoche is hard to say, but easy to understand. In fact, you already know what a synecdoche is. When a wedding coordinator asks for a head count, is that coordinator expecting that only people's heads will attend the wedding ceremony? If so, that's really strange. But no, right? When you buy a car and you ask your friend, hey, do you want to see my new wheels? Do you take them outside with your car covered up in a blanket only to show them your wheels? No, you show them the whole car. When military people say that we have boots on the ground, are we to imagine that there are millions and millions of disembodied boots piled up on the ground somewhere? No, clearly, clearly, head stands for the whole person. 
for the wedding coordinator. Wheels stands for the whole car. When it comes to a car, boots stands for the whole soldier. So do you see a synecdoche stands for, is a part that represents the whole. So a head is a part of the person, but it represents the whole person. Wheels are a part of a car, but it represents the whole car. Boots are what a soldier puts on, but it represents the whole soldier. Baptism, baptism is a synecdoche that, re that, that is a part that rep represents the whole. It's a part that stands for the whole. Baptism here is, is pointing to the whole process that we go through in converting ourselves to Jesus. To, to, actually, we don't convert ourselves to converting to Jesus Christ. Baptism is a synecdoche for our response to Jesus. So how do we respond? Here's how we respond. We hear the good news, the gospel, about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We experience the gift of the conviction of sin. We believe that Jesus died for us and lives in and died for our sins and lives so that we might not have to pay for our many sins. We repent from our sins. We follow Jesus, and it's all capped off by us being baptized. Baptism is that official public announcement where we enter the kingdom of God publicly. And that's why baptism is a synecdoche for the, for the whole of the Christian life. Now, please don't understand that baptism saves you. It does not. The saved are baptized. We do not get baptized to be saved. When you place authentic faith in Jesus Christ, then you are saved. When you hear the good news, you experience conviction, you put your faith in Christ, you repent, you follow Jesus, then you get baptized. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying all of those things, the human response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's one baptism, and that's what we share. See, we're speaking as what we've... So what do we share, Center Church, if we are all here as Christians? What do we share? We share one baptism. We share one baptism. Because we've all responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now make careful note... We're speaking here of our perspective, not God's. We know from the beginning of this book, He called us in eternity past. The Spirit makes us new creation. The Spirit causes us to be convicted. The Spirit then indwells us. We're declared justified and forever righteous. We're united with Christ. We're empowered by the Spirit for living. We're adopted into His family, and one day we will be glorified. That's what God does. But one baptism highlights the decision we've made. By faith. That's why it's a synecdoche for our response to Jesus. And that's why Paul can say something like this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's the idea. Baptism, meaning we've chosen to follow Jesus. Therefore, we are in Christ. We, are, we have put on Christ. That's how we're united in one baptism. Do you see that? Every person who has put faith in Christ, no matter where they're from, no matter who they are, share this one baptism. And we as a church, those of us who are called to be here, uniquely share this together. And we'll see how in just a moment. We want to live out of our one baptism. You see, when we are converted, we're converted not just away from sin and death, but we're also converted to Jesus Christ. 
See, the reason that Paul can talk about this one baptism is because there is the one Christ. That's who we follow. We are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so whenever Paul talks about the one baptism, the idea should not think, we should not think that, oh, that means that everybody was, that even everybody was, has even been baptized yet. If you haven't been baptized, you should be. But what it should think, what we should think of is this. Everyone who is a Christian has, knows Jesus and is following Jesus as we speak. You see, the one baptism has more to say about our one Savior than anything else. This is what we see. Jesus says this himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All who have been genuinely converted to God have come to him through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to God. This is from Jesus. That's what he says. Now, let me just have a word with you if you're new. Or if you're a guest. And this sounds super remote, strange, maybe narrow-minded, and maybe even a little bit dangerous. First of all, I'm glad you're here. If you're here, thanks for coming. If you're watching, thanks for watching. If you've come, I know it's hard to walk into a room full of people that you don't really know, so thanks for coming. Second, what you need to know about Center Church is that we're the kind of place where questions are always welcome. We don't just say, hey, listen, fall in line, do what you're told. No, what we do is we say, listen, we follow Jesus together. That's what we do. That's what we're about. We're about Him. And so if you have questions, ask anyone. Ask any leader. Ask anybody that you know that's a member of our church. Now, when I say that Jesus says here he's the only way to God, that can sound narrow. But what I want to tell you is this. Jesus promises that whosoever comes to him, he will accept. Anyone who comes to Jesus can get to God. So in fact, the door is not narrow. It's exceedingly wide. Anyone who feels their need and recognizes not just that there's something missing, but that you're not right. And you need someone to put you together. That someone is Jesus. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, talk to somebody who you know is. Maybe it's a family member, maybe a friend, maybe the person you came with. If you don't know any Christians, I'll introduce you to some. There are a bunch of really great Christians here. Again, guests, thank you for coming. And if you have any questions about anything, as always, ask. Now, church, the reason we can make every effort to be united because we share this one baptism is not because we were baptized on the same day, but because we were baptized into the same Christ. See, Jesus is the most important thing about you and about me and about all of us. If we could drill down through the bedrock of our identity, all the different ways we like to think about ourselves as educated or where we're from or how much money we have or what race we are or what our political persuasion is or maybe what our gender is or maybe if we're a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather, all those things, we can think those are the things who we are. What we see in Scripture is this. Now, we see something much more fundamental. We see that if we drill down through all of those 
those ideas about who we are, we find that at the very bottom, we have Jesus. And he is our common identity. He is the reason we are who we are. If you're a Christian, he's the reason you're a Christian. The fact that we care about God and want to listen to his word, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. God's done that in our lives. That's not a testimony to our ability or our smarts or our wits. So, now are you beginning to see how this one baptism ought to work in our church? You might say it this way. Any who is in Christ and a part of our church, I can consider my brother or sister. Now, am I saying that doesn't mean that Christians outside this room aren't brothers and sisters? No. But we're not called to do life with everybody. We can only do life with so many different people. And Paul tells us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And to make effort. It's hard in the same local church. It's easy when they're somewhere else. So can you see that the context here is talking about here for us? If you're not a member here, it's wherever you're from. You see, we are not that different from anyone else. When we're at peace with God through Christ, we can make every effort to be at peace with others in our own church. Why? Because they know the same Jesus we do. Because they've chosen to follow that Jesus. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus, He becomes the most important thing about us. He does. And so, what we need to do when we think about our unity is we want to handle and touch and smell and get to know what authentic unity feels like, and it starts with Jesus. Notice, it starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with what my opinions are about economics or the future of the nation. You know, I wonder <coughs> if at times our idea of unity is both stilted it's, it's stilted and backwards. Stilted because unity might seem to you to be uniformity. That is not what we're saying. We're not saying everybody should eat the same things or dress the same way or decorate their house in the same way or drive the same kind of cars. That's uniformity. We're not shooting for uniformity. We're going to have different preferences and priorities and perspectives. Unity does not mean thinking about everything in the exact same way. That's uniformity, and that's stilted. This is not, that is not what's being talked about here in Ephesians chapter 4. I also think we're tempted to think about unity exactly backwards. And I wonder if we need to retrain our minds to think differently about unity here at Center Church. See, here's the natural way we think about unity. If I have something in common with someone, and I get them and they get me, I can be united to them. Do you see that? That's how we all normally think. But Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 is asking us, turn it backwards. That's the wrong way to think. See, if we're going to maintain unity of the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we need to remember that what we need to start with is not what we have in common with other people, but that we have Christ in common. 
and that we share in this one baptism. I can be unified, and you can be unified with anyone who has Christ as their Lord and shares in this one baptism. Now this is, takes, this is why, listen, there's a reason we're directed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, to make every effort. Do you know why? Because it's easy. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard. No one ever has to tell me, make every effort to eat dinner. Good, yeah, okay. I can do that. Make every effort to ensure your thermostat at your house works so that you don't have to be you don't have to be in a hot home. I'm good with that. We're told to make every effort when something's hard. And we're exhorted in the strongest possible terms to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It takes strenuous effort to remember that we are of one baptism with someone who seems so totally different than we are. That takes effort. Now at times, I'm not trying to say that we're not going to have differences. At times our differences are going to be significant. But should these significant differences divide us? No. Why? Because Jesus is bigger than those differences. He's more fundamental than those differences. See, if we were to avoid people or that person because of their idea of what the future of the nation should be or because of their political views, you are saying there's something much more important than my identity in Christ and your identity in Christ and the one baptism that we share and it's this. You see how we can't do that? That's not who we are. That doesn't mean we jettison our political views. But it means we remember who we are and what we share. And that's how, when we handle it and touch it and look at it and consider it and, and look at it from the scriptures, that's how our unity doesn't become like our joke my jokers. See, we're going to have important differences, but we share one baptism. We're going to have honest differences that aren't essential because we share one baptism. We're going to have good and admirable opinions that are not indis indispensable or indisputable. We can overlook those because we share one baptism. We're going to even have virtuous perspectives, but that are not fundamental to all truth. We can overlook those because we share one baptism. We're going to have noble desires for the future of our nation, that are not required for everyone to share in this one baptism. We're going to even have principled points of view, but yet not compel other people to agree with us. Why? Because they've already agreed with us in Christ and we already share the one baptism. Fundamentally, we agree on everything that matters because we agree on Jesus. We agree on Jesus. You see, we have to make every effort because we are, we are apt to put things between each other. We're apt to say things like, if you don't homeschool, I can't relate to you. If, you do, if you're not an anti-vaxxer, I can't relate to you. 
If you don't believe in, in um, you know, a small carbon footprint, I can't relate to you. If you don't believe in this kind of social activism, I can't believe in you. If you don't believe in this, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. The Bible is exactly reverse. Exactly reverse. Totally opposite. If I share in the one baptism with you, we're good. We're together. You may have things that I might disagree with, but we're together. You see, this kind of unity, I want us to know it, and hold it, and smell it, and touch it, so that we don't get taken astray by jokeries. Our church, we're going to focus on Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is. We're not going to be the coolest. We're not going to have the... The, we're not going to have you, the most views on YouTube. We're not going to be the hippest. We're not going to be the cutting edge. But we're going to focus on Jesus. And we're going to think together what it means to, to stay together because Jesus has brought us together and because we have, we have this one baptism together. Because guess what? We're not that different from each other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that realization that we're not that different, that's hard to come by, and that's one we need you to help us with. We need you to work in us and through us, Lord, because we're not apt to think that way. We're apt to think the opposite. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help our church, Lord, to just reflect you. I pray that the testimony of our church, both internally and externally, is that those people are like Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would just give us your supernatural power to be able to stick together, Lord. Even though I'm not aware of things happening that are, that are like dividing us at the moment, Lord, I recognize that we live in a world that, is, that has the spirit of division like a fog all around us. And it's so easy for us just to take that in and to imbibe the reality of the culture of our age. Instead, Lord, instead, may we be a people who both individually and together recognize that we're of one baptism. And because we are of one baptism, we can be one. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.